Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. All right, we're going to move towards praying the prayer that we pray every single Sunday as we gather If you're from a high church background, it's called the Our Father. If you're more from a low church, it's called the Lord's Prayer. What's important to know is, is that all last year we looked at one thing as a church family, and that is the kingdom of God. This year we're spending the entire year looking at what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God. And you get the understanding of how to live in the kingdom by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And so at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the kingdom prayer. It's not just a template on how to pray. It is actually the prayer of the kingdom. And again, for some, we'd know it as the Our Father. For others, it's the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to pray this prayer out loud together. Are you ready? Are we ready? There we go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father... In heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, before you're seated, As I was praying about this morning's message, I felt deeply in my heart that we were to pause as a church and we would participate in the Lord's Prayer with the only participatory thing that the Lord's Prayer brings to us, and that is we are forgiven as we forgive others. Forgiveness is the one thing the Lord's Prayer calls us to do. I've become completely convinced that love is not the currency of the kingdom of God. It's there. Forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. Forgiveness. It's the primary thing that we are called to do in the kingdom that Jesus has ushered into the world. So what I would like for us to do, believe me, love's important, but if you've ever been in love and you didn't know how to forgive, the love runs out. How many of you know? That's true. So what I want us to do is take a moment in God's presence. If you're comfortable doing this, close your eyes, kind of lift your hands in front of you. If you're not, that's fine. But let's take just a moment in the present working of God's spirit and just see if there's any forgiveness that we need to bring to another person. Let's just allow the Lord's presence to bring someone to mind or some people to mind. As we continue with our eyes closed, what I completely know, because I have ministered to and with college students for 36 years now, that oftentimes, if you're new here this morning and you're new on grounds at UVA, that oftentimes there's some family stuff that it would be really awesome to bring forgiveness over right now as you begin your journey in college. So whomever the Lord has brought to mind, 
I would like you right now to pray with me. You pray before the Lord, I'll pray out loud. Dear God, here we are as a group of people. And the prayer that we have prayed, the prayer that we're called to pray, the kingdom prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Our Father, calls us to be forgiving women and men. And so in that, we now surrender a person or people to you. We ask that you would deeply, deeply, deeply help us. Dear God, I pray that you would help us to be forgiving people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we began to take a look at a very simple thing we're asking everyone in our church to consider, and that is to be a table host or to be part of a table group. So what is a table group? Well, my wife and I are involved with a table group. Uh, her and I and another couple that live in our neighborhood that attend city, we're going to be hosting a table group in our homes we're going to kind of go back and forth, or at least we're going to be sharing the responsibility of hosting. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to reach out to people in our neighborhood, and we're going to explain to them that we would love for people to come into our homes, and that we will be talking about the age-old question of what is the good life. Believe it or not, Jesus, although doesn't square up to the question overtly, Jesus is actually answering that question through his parables and many of his teachings because that was the question that Socrates and Plato had been working with and was a big deal at the time of Jesus. Now, one of the things we talked about last week was the power of hospitality. The idea of lowering the barrier of our home and opening up our home, our dorm room, our apartment, and inviting people in. One of the things we talked about last week is that architecturally in the 70s and the 80s, homes began to be built with a back deck instead of a front porch. You see, in our culture, you have a front porch. Anyone can access you. The front porches were cut off and back decks were put on. Now you've got to get in through my locked door in order to get to me. Does that make sense? So we live in a culture that has moved away from opening their homes. And I don't know how it all works, but one of my mentors taught me when I first stepped into ministry, into campus ministry, was this, is that when you gather people together and you provide food and you talk about faith and Jesus and God, something happens and you need all three. You need people, you need food, and a conversation about Jesus. And don't forget the food. It's true. And then you look in the Gospels, and Jesus is doing this a lot. Jesus met in a lot of large group settings like this, but primarily when you look in the Gospels, you discover Jesus is in smaller groups, sitting around tables, and he's eating with them. I am keenly aware, though, when we talk about opening our homes, some of you sitting here get filled with anxiety. You think you've got to be kidding I'm not. Because I think there's something that's special that happens when we take what we've been blessed with 
Three weeks ago, Pastor Keith challenged us with the idea that you've been blessed in order to bless others. And there's something about opening your home and opening your heart and using what God's blessed you with to bless others. It's a powerful thing. Not only is that powerful and something that deeply touches us, Jesus modeled this. It's interesting to note that in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 11, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know he's getting spiritual cooties by eating with them? Doesn't he know that? And then it goes on later in the same gospel, Matthew eleven nineteen. It says, the son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and, and sinners. I want you to notice that Jesus ate so many meals and had so much food and wine and all of that with people that others began to say of him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Isn't that fascinating? Of all the things they could pick on, they said he eats too much and drinks too much. Why? Because he was doing it all the time. Isn't that awesome? Now, the idea, though, is it's how the religious establishment around Jesus saw people. It's how they saw them. Jesus saw people categorically different than the religious people around himself, including his disciples. He, did it, he had a different eye. He had a different lens. He had a different way of seeing people and the world. And so, by the way, if you ended up coming to my house and Fran hosted you, first of all, there's a couple of things you'd figure out very, very quickly at our house. First of all, if this was my house, there would be a flower arrangement here instead of this. My wife loves fresh flowers. I'm just telling you, if she says people are coming over, the first thing she'll say on the shopping list is, go buy flowers. How many of you men know what I'm talking about and you could care less about the flowers, all right? Here's the other thing. If you come to my house, by the way, this is a Bodo's bagel. And after, after service today, we're going to be hosting all of the college students, grad or undergrad, um, under the tent. We're gonna have a, a big lunch, which my wife has prepared. And shockingly, there's no flowers on the tables out there this time. I was completely surprised. But... Um, if you came to our house, here's what you would notice. There'd be flowers on the table, and here's the other thing. My wife is Italian, and she will suggest how you should eat your food. <laughs> she literally will. You, you'll go to eat it, and she'll go, no, 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 no. What you want to do is you want to open it up, put a little regatta on there, and a little red sauce, and then a little Parmesan, and you want to cut it. And How many of you have ever eaten a meal with an Italian? They literally tell you how to eat. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right. But if you came into our house, you would experience all of that. But I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, some of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life have been around a table in a home where people were loved and welcomed and cared for well. It's amazing to me. 
Well, after the service today, anyone involved at, on grounds or at Piedmont, community, wherever you're at studying, all students, we're inviting you to go underneath the tent. And what absolutely amazed me was that we had a student stay with us for one night a couple of weeks ago. He was coming in to do a grad program, and he was from Cambridge, England. And so he knew my son, and uh, so when we picked him up and he was there at our house, I said to him, I said, what would you like to do while you are here? And this is the honest truth. Here's what he said. I want to go to Bodo's. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how in the world can you cross the pond come here to study, and your number one thing is Bodo's. And then I remembered his sister had stayed with us, and she had been to Bodo's and went on and on. All that to say, Bodo's after, under the tent. Now, what's fascinating to note, though, is that Jesus was sitting at tables, and he was hosting at tables in such a way that was upsetting the religious establishment and the apple cart of the spiritual leaders of his day. And if we want to understand why, there's a simple thing biblically that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount drives home, and it's key. And it's found in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. How many of you have ever heard people say, the Bible says don't judge? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever? Okay, we're going to deal with that. <laughs> Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's this two by 12 sticking out of your face? How is it that when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, one of the things to know about when you read the Bible is look at some of the continued themes. And one of the continued themes in the Sermon on the Mount is seeing. It's the eyeball. Now, I have a question. How many of you need glasses that are in the room? Raise your hand. Really, I'm serious about this. Really, really high. Or contacts. Okay. How many of you do not need those? Raise your hand. Oh, fewer of us don't need them than do. And what Jesus is going to begin to teach us is the whole idea of seeing well and what it means to have a good eye. What is just said here is, is that if you go to judge and your eye is filled up with a plank, you cannot help someone else with the stuff in their life. You can't help them. You're going to try, but when you go to reach out and to help them with the speck in their eye, the two by 12 sticking out of your face is going to whack them in the head. It's not going to work. But notice again, Jesus is focusing on the eye. Now, fascinatingly enough, this is not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount he talks about seeing and the eye. So let's pick up the first time he taught on it. Matthew 6, 22 through 24, very quickly. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then Jesus randomly seems to begin to talk about money. And oftentimes we read the Sermon on the Mount like it's these little paragraphs of pithy wisdom. And it isn't. They're all linked. Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here's what's interesting. If you are holding an NIV Bible, you will notice instantly that next to the word healthy and unhealthy, there's a footnote. And if you look at the bottom of your page, healthy means generous, and unhealthy means stingy. Fascinating. So in Jesus' world, just so you know, healthy implies generous, and the Greek word for unhealthy implies stingy. As a matter of fact, Lois Trumberg, in Walking in the Dust of the Rabbi Jesus, teaches us the following. Having a good eye, a yin is to look out for the needs of others and to be generous. But to have a bad eye is a yin ra'a is to be greedy and self-centered. The idea of having a good eye or a bad eye comes from Hebrew ex- uh, on how Hebrew expands on the concept of seeing. So what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about having a good eye. When it comes to judging, he cautions you if you have a bad eye, a plank in it, you're not gonna be able to measure and judge a person appropriately. Because you have a bad eye. So what you do is you go back to where Jesus is talking about a good eye, and you begin to ask yourself the question, am I a stingy person? Ask yourself the question. Because in the day of Jesus' life, having a good eye meant you were generous. Now, why would you have a good eye? It was pretty simple. You actually had a relationship with God, and you believed that God was in control, and he was loving, good, and kind, and generous, and loving, and forgiveness, and that God's initial move towards humankind is good. And if you're close to that God, you live that way. But what happens to people primarily is when we move away from being connected to God, we can oftentimes become selfish, self-centered, stingy, and it's about me and what I can get. So we take a moment to think. Jesus is saying when you judge others, judge them with a good eye. Because if you have a plank sticking out of yours, when you measure someone, when you judge them, You're not going to do a good job. Now, it's interesting to note that the word for measure that we just read is the Greek word metron, and it actually has to do with judging if there's enough or not enough, is something fair or unfair, meaning to measure, and how something is determined as acceptable or unacceptable. That's what it means to measure. Now, can you imagine if I live my life with a bad eye? That means every time I meet someone, I'm going to try to use them for my own purposes. If they can't help me, I'm out. If I have a bad eye, I'm going to look at other people with suspicion and doubt and criticism. I'm going to come from a negative standpoint. And Jesus says, look... 
if you judge people that way or measure that people that, that way, that will be what is used against you. Now, notice Jesus never says God does that against you. It's just something that happens. So if you go through life with a stingy bad eye, guess what the environment around you is going to look like? It's going to look stingy and self-serving and self-centered, and you will become the victim of that. So if you have a bad eye and you judge other people and you go in and you meet people and instantly you go to critical, well, they're not this enough or that enough or here's their problem or that's their problem. If I walk in with a bad eye, instantly I'm going to project that and I'm going to become the victim of my own bad eye. That's what Jesus is meaning. But if I walk in with a good eye and I see the best in people and I believe that God is loving and generous and kind and that he is a good God, I might meet someone that their life might be somewhat chaotic, but I believe that God is good enough and loving enough to do something about that. So the concept of good eye, bad eye is massive. And Jesus' teaching is that in, uh, in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the spirit of God, the person of Jesus is going to move us towards a good eye because it affects everything. What did Jesus say? If you have a bad eye, how dark is the darkness within you? It consumes you. But if you have a good eye, how bright how light it is. Now, in putting feet to our faith with this message, as we put feet to our faith, remember, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. I promise you, every time you meet someone, you judge them. You measure them. Every time. But it's with which eye? Is it with a good eye? And if you meet them and you believe that God's best will be in their life, you believe the best of them, you encourage, you're positive, or do you meet people and dissect them? That's a bad eye. And so Jesus is totally honest. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Well, you're going to judge everyone you meet. It's determined by which eye you're going to use. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. In other words, the eye with which you look at others will eventually become your environment. You will be judged by that. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? And then in putting feet to our faith, the question becomes... How do you view people? How do you view others? Is it with a good eye? How do you see them? Now, when Jesus begins to teach about being a table host, when Jesus talks about when you invite people into your life, when you invite people around your table in your dorm room, your apartment, or in your home, wherever you invite them to, it's really fascinating that Jesus actually has something to say about the guest list. Here we go. Luke 12, or Luke 14, 12 to 14. 
Jesus is being hosted by an individual. He's in their home. And then the text says that Jesus said to his host, could you imagine, someone had a home group and invited Jesus. And he turns to his host and he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. And the host is thinking to himself, that's exactly why I invited everyone. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. Not if you have a good eye. If you have a good eye, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In other words, the people that culture believes are unblessed. And he says, if you do that, you will be what? Blessed. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. And if you invite people that everyone else overlooks, you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Would you stand with me? It's interesting to note that in a world in which Jesus was raised, When you gathered with people, the focus had to be on the food because there were huge dietary laws in the Older Testament. But what's interesting to note, Jesus never talks about that. He talks about the guest list. He talks about the people. Good eye, bad eye. Which do we have? Now I'm going to ask that we would take just a moment to consider what the Spirit of the Lord would speak to our hearts. So again, if you're comfortable, close your eyes, but open your heart just for a moment. Good eye, bad eye. One of the reasons why we began with forgiveness is because if you have unforgiveness in your life, you cannot have a good eye. You will always be suspicious, always concerned, always fearful, always ready to self-eject and to run, to turtle up. But once we've moved through forgiveness, now we have the freedom to look at the eye. Do I have a good eye? Do I have a bad eye? Jesus, I pray that you would help us. You would help all of us to have 20-20 vision in your kingdom to have a good eye. 